Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. It's hard enough for us to do the things we care about. Let's not try to like convince people of something they don't care about. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon One. Today, I'm interviewing Raquelie Edelkoff of Pedal. Raquelie's passion for marketing was reignited when she decided to work with a nonprofit organization that supported individuals with disabilities. Frustrated by the lack of recognition and support for their programs, Raquelie started to uncover the art of personalized marketing. Over the years, she discovered the impact of personalization and relationship building to make donors feel like they are an important part of the organization's journey. Today, Raquelie runs a boutique marketing company, Pedal, helping nonprofits attract more supporters by creating genuine connections with their audience. In this episode, you'll discover the power of shifting your mindset and language in your marketing as we get specific about the do's and don'ts in your email communication. We are going to talk about the benefits of focusing on content quality, how to uncover the power of getting specific, and why operational transparency and highlighting valuable content builds trust and goodwill with your supporters. There is so much inside this episode, so let's dive in so you can meet Raquel Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with my friend, Raquel Edelkoff. Raquel, welcome to What the Fundraising. So excited to be chatting with you. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been way too long, and you being on What the Fundraising feels so incredibly long overdue, but I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about something in particular. So I cannot wait to dive in to our conversation. Why don't we start, though, with you just telling everyone a little bit about you and what you do, and then we can dive in. Yeah, sure. So I actually started out in the for-profit sector marketing. And honestly, I was working for a company that sold frames, like custom frames. And I got bored so quickly. I was just like, it was going well. My boss was happy with me, but I just was like, no, no, no. Like I want to market something that feels exciting to market that I need my heart and my passion to be in the work that I do. So I had previously volunteered with a nonprofit in high school. I reconnected with them and I started working with them on their marketing first for the international branch. And then I ended up getting a position as a program director in one of their branches in Montreal. And that's really where marketing started to play a really important role because I kind of got fired as a program director. Okay. I come in my first day. There's this beautiful center. We worked with individuals with disabilities. So like amazing instructors and programs and the work that they did, but nobody really knew about it. And so when I was connecting with other organizations or schools or institutions or one-on-one with people, it just felt like I was always 
working so hard to sell it. And I was just like, in my head, like, if you would just walk through the door, if you would just come, if you would just see it, you know, I wouldn't have to do all of this. Like, it was so painful. And what I realized was that it would be easier to have two jobs, like do the marketing for the organization and be the program director than just to be the program director because everything was taking so much effort. And so I was very lucky. I found an amazing mentor at a PR company who took me on pro bono and she mentored me. And together, we really, in a tiny budget through trial and error, really built out an entire marketing plan and strategy for the organization. And there was no overnight fix, but over about a year or two, there was this massive transformation where wherever I went in the city, in Montreal, quite a large city, we had brand recognition, everyone knew about our cause, and they had like warm and fuzzy things to share about it. And we had volunteers DMing us on Instagram, new families, and we did it all of that outreach that I had started doing in my first few months in my job, like, they were off my calendar. Like we really created this environment where people were attracted and they wanted in the cause. And over time, we really were able to triple the participants. We had wait lists for every program for our volunteer program. By the time I left, we had every single bank in Canada was a corporate sponsor there. And so we were really able to see this massive transformational result. And honestly, in my time uh, as program director, I was slowly starting to get calls from other local organizations like can you connect us to the person doing your marketing? And I was so embarrassed to be like, hey, it's me. But that kind of planted the seed for what I do now, which is a boutique marketing company where I work with, you know, all size nonprofits, where I help them really create marketing that's going to attract people to them, make them want in and really get to that core of like what every nonprofit director who's thinking, like if people can just see what I'm seeing, like, yes, let's do that. Let them see what you're seeing. Let them feel what you're feeling. And when they can see that impact, they're going to want in and want to take the next step. Okay. I love hearing that story of what led you to what you're doing today. Also, if you are not following Raquelie on Instagram, you absolutely should, because the way you do the marketing for your business, I think demonstrates part of what you're talking about here. Like in, you get so much engagement and the posts are always so thought provoking and interesting and you learn a lot and you know, once you see one that you like want all the content that comes from you. But will you take the hood back for us just a little bit around like what what were some of the pieces of that strategy that you either did for that first organization that you're talking about or that you do for your clients that build that sort of like attraction and magnetic energy that really has folks coming to you? Yeah. So first of all, that's so kind, kind of you to share. And that was one of the things when I was starting out my business, I said, I don't want to be, you know, the story of like the shoemaker's kids who have no shoes. And I see that a lot in the marketing space where some of even the biggest marketing firms in the for-profit space who are like the ones winning the awards, a lot of them you go to their Instagram and it's like a filtered photo of like the office dog and like happy hot dog day or whatever. And it's just this, this, you know, big gap between like what they're able to do for their clients and what they do on their own. So I do really try to practice what I preach and create the kind of content that adds value in and of itself. And then if people want to take the next step to work with me, you know, they know where to find me. So back to your question, one of the main shifts that I did there and I do now is really moving away from the transactional mindset when it comes to communication. And it's really a mindset shift because you really can't fake this kind of work, as I'm sure you know. The idea of 
I'm committing to sharing content with my audience, whether that's on Instagram through a post, whether that's in an email with no strings attached. My goal is to build connection, build community. And even more important, I want to dig deep and say, you know what, whatever mission I have, chances are part of that mission is to promote it, right? Like if I want to change housing crisis, it's not just about we need to build these affordable housing and we need this funding. It's really part and parcel of that just as important as the funding is what are people's messaging and stories around this cause, around the people that we serve. And when you can take a step back and see that not marketing is like a means to an end, it's like, no, no, no. If someone's going to read this email and they are going to, and I like not saying just one email actually, because let's be honest, one email is not going to like change the world. But if I am constantly following you and getting these mini touch points through your social, through your email, and you can slowly change my worldview, change my perception, change my values around this community, that is you fulfilling your mission. Now, in addition, cherry on top, this is going to, at the same time, make people want to buy in and volunteer and donate and spread the word organically. But if you come in with that being your North Star of why you're doing it, it's not going to last because it shows, right? When people see the content, they feel the strings attached. And I really try to practice that in my own marketing of when I'm putting out content for my audience, I'm really having the mindset of, I don't want everyone in my audience to become my clients, really and truly. Like I have a small shop with a certain amount of capacity. I need maybe two or 3% of my audience. And so the average person that commenting or DMing me, I'm not like thinking, ooh, how do I now sell them in the DMs and turn them into a client? I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I am so happy that they're getting value and they're going to take this tip back to their nonprofit. And some of my favorite messages are the ones where people are like, okay, I used your tip. I did it in this email sequence. And these are the results. And to me, when someone sends, tells me that, that is just as valuable as like the email I get from a client after a campaign thanking me for the transformation. And when nonprofits, it's harder in a way for nonprofits to have that mindset because there's a lot of scarcity built in. There is the like, we need to raise X by X date. And so it's really hard, right? It's a simple mindset shift, but it's really hard to do. And I do want to acknowledge that. It's not like, hey, just, you know, get your head straight. It's a hard journey, but it's a worthwhile one. Yeah. And I think what you said before is so important. And I talk about this with fundraising all the time. I don't believe fundraising is a means to an end or a necessary evil. Like I think it's long talked about that. And I think that fundraising, because I see marketing and fundraising so intimately connected. I think fundraising is the work. You're galvanizing support. People are buying into the mission. They're starting to be ambassadors for your program, adopt being a part of that community. Like that's important part of the work, not like that's happening over here just to power the work over here. And so I totally agree with you that shift out of scarcity mindset is challenging. But I think one of the things, at least that I see that helps folks embrace more of that is recognizing the value of those engines, like marketing and fundraising aren't just about the end, end, end result of it. Right. So I think that can be helpful too. And to tie some metrics to that, I see in your content, a lot of ability to like give advice at a macro level and also like get into the weeds and give some real like micro advice around word choice and the types of things that get folks to take action. 
So when you're working with clients, like, I love that you started with this mindset piece around like, what does it mean to be, how do we sort of all get on the same page about why we're producing this content in the first place? Because that's going to trickle down into how we write all these emails or do all these things. But do you have any other like live by rules in terms of how you encourage people to write copy that builds like intimacy and connection via email in particular? One of the things you said so kindly about my page, which is one of the things I try to do that you're picking up on is give people like these bigger mindset shifts, but also give them like teeny tiny wins because we're all really overwhelmed. None of us are coming to social media for like heavy duty education. Like we need bite-sized entertainment or really, really small wins. And I know you're very big on like tiny habits and all of that. So one of the things, if I'm being totally honest, is I'm not a massive believer that one word is going to change your whole email, even though that's a lot of the content I put out there. And it's not that I'm trying to mislead people. It's more that when you get a small win, then you can build on it. And then you can actually have the energy to tackle like the mindset shift. And this is something I work with a client right now that works in like the environmental space. And I was kind of giving her example. And it's like, you know, let's say for Earth Day, we can put out like, here are five ways to be good to the planet. And I don't know, you know, conserve water and shop vintage or whatever it is, right? And those are so broad and so obvious that it feels like a valuable piece of content. But like, is it really? No, like that's going to come up when you Google five ways to, you know, help the environment, right? So instead, what you want to do is go super, super niche and super, super specific and just tell me one teeny tiny thing and why and make me feel amazing about it. And then I can start seeing myself as an advocate for this cause. I can start seeing that as part of my identity because I did this tiny, teeny action and then we can build off of that. And the valuable content is often not in like the general high level stuff. It's really in that those micro details. So what we usually do when we're building a strategy is we look at, you know, what are those main messages that you want to put out into the world that if you could tell people anything and they would listen, they would love it, no matter what you would say, what goes on that list? And then we really go to the opposite lens of like your audience. Okay. What do they think and believe and care about when it comes to your community, the people you serve, the niche that you're in? And then what we really try to do is find that overlap find those shared values, find those shared beliefs, and we start there. And I think from everything I know about the amazing work you do, it really sounds like it mirrors a lot of like your power partners formula. If I Tell me if I'm right of like, what are your shared values and beliefs? Like, let's not try to convince you of something that you don't think or care about or believe in. It's hard enough to get people interested in the things they already care about, right? Like, I care about, let's say, you know, my kids have these healthy snacks, but like, am I going to start like DIYing all these recipes? I don't know if I have time, right? So it's hard enough for us to do the things we care about. Let's not try to like convince people of something they don't care about. And the other thing that I love about following you and your work is is you've totally transformed, maybe I'm going off on a tangent a little bit, but this is the truth. You've totally transformed how I see fundraising because as a marketer, when I worked in the nonprofit space, I actually clashed quite a bit with the fundraising arm, if I'm being very honest, because I felt that they were all about the transaction, about the bottom line, about what we need to the point of, you know, we're going to change the pitch or the mission statement is going to sound different today. If this donor, you know, we know this donor gave 
five million dollars to this hospital. And based on that, we think he cares about this. And so we're going to kind of shift our pitch or pitch a program that might not directly align with our mission and our uniqueness and you know, pitch it to them. And so I was very jaded from that. And I was like, I get it. I get it that we need the money. But what I love about the way you operate is this generosity of spirit, like this open mindset of like, there's enough people, right, that that think and believe and want the same things. Like, let's connect with them. Let's do that. And that's how we're going to build not just funding, but communities of super fans of people that are like spreading the mission. Well, thank you for that very kind compliment. And I think this is actually one of the reasons why I believe in unsiloing marketing and fundraising as much as possible, because I think a lot of fundraising departments are that way. And a lot of that isn't their fault. They've been sort of left with the transaction. They take marketing and they put it over there. They take community and volunteerism. They put it over there and they leave fundraising just with the moments of transaction that they're getting tracked against. And then they're like, don't be transactional, but it's It's like, well, that's what you're holding them accountable for. That's the only thing you're talking to them about. Like, of course, that's how they're going to operate and what they're going to be. And that's why I think when marketing and fundraising can come together, there's like so much more potential in exactly what you and I both want, which is building that community, building relationships, like having all of those things deeply intertwined. And I think that ultimately makes your marketing and your fundraising so much more successful. But you're right. And this is a very hard thing to do to know that, but not let that knowing drive your behavior and how you show up to those emails, because that's going to ruin the whole thing. I know you said that, you know, it doesn't come down to one word that will change your whole email. Although Neon One just produced a super interesting email report. And I think you'll agree with this one and be like, okay, yeah, that word. The one (laughs) word that it seems like they really did find. Can I jump in? Is it you? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is the one word that really did change it. You got me, Mary. Yeah. So like that makes sense, right? How many times you use the word you and there's other great insights. We'll make sure to link the resource below, but I love what you said actually about like, it's not about hyper analyzing like one word here or there. It's about using these language or these tips to have these wins to integrate into your marketing. But I do think I'm hearing an overarching theme and tell me if I'm wrong, which is that you want your messaging to be positive. And positive doesn't mean that you're not talking about hard things. But when I think about like the way I grew up seeing fundraising and I think about all the like guilt emails or the like give a quarter, like there was just so much negative emotions surrounding a lot of fundraising campaigns. And we still see it sometimes with like some direct relief campaigns and things like that. But I feel like overall, we've seen this shift, which I think probably mirrors how effective it is about the language being more like positive and uplifting and engaging in that way. And I feel like I hear that undertone a little bit in how you're talking about building community and doing that marketing. But is that true? So let's go back like first real quick for the word you, because I think if you're just going to cross out every we and put it to you, yes, that's going to help. But what I think the word you is also doing is you want to write your email with your, you know, the person reading it, they're the hero of the story. They're the main character, right? And anyone that knows anything about marketing, right? This isn't something brand new, but the mindset being, can we move the organization out of the spotlight 
and let the donor feel like they are giving directly to the recipient, right? So even when I'm actually giving directly to the recipient, like there were these amazing stories during the Ukraine crisis where people were going on Airbnb and booking stays, obviously, you know, where they were not going to be visiting just to kind of put cash in the hands of the refugees. Now, even in that scenario, there is the middleman. Let's say it's Airbnb. So there's almost always a middleman. And in this case, the middleman is your organization, your organization's programs. When you position yourself, it's like, we're this amazing organization doing amazing work. And we want some of your money to be able to keep doing this incredible stuff. What you are doing is you're putting me as the helper, right? You're the hero. You're the main character doing all this glamorous feel good work. And I'm in my for profit running my company in my stuffy office. I don't get to get any of that feel good endorphins that you get to do while you're in that program. And so what we want to do is not say our organization is not the one doing the work. Of course, you're the one doing the work. Of course, that money is going through the Airbnb platform. But you want to look as if you look at the story brand framework, for example, your organization is the guide, right? You are the vehicle for this donor to make that difference and impact it in the world. And the more you're going to talk about you and your cause, right? So we, our organization, us, the less Space there is for that donor to stand in the spotlight. So the purpose of you is not just, yes, start out with the basic level is just cross out all the we and our and replace it with you. But I would say to get an even better result, start off that email and say, we're removing the spotlight from us. That doesn't mean we're not the ones here doing the work. And nobody thinks the money is going magically and creating this amazing program and that's all happening without actual people and an organization on the ground doing it. People know that. They know they're the ones doing this work. But show them the same way, you know, we can say the program is the vehicle for getting this person, you know, you have the money as the vehicle. And so why not let that donor feel their direct impact as opposed to them just being like the ones who are giving the money? The piggy bank. Mm. Okay. I love that advice. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Like the report obviously shows those results about the use of the word you, but I think what you're also pointing to, which would be my hypothesis too, is that likely the organizations that were writing emails with the word you being used more often, were probably like using more of that donor lens throughout their entire email in other ways. Like they were really positioning the donor in direct connection to the outcomes of the organization. And that mindset probably trickled down to the use of the word you a lot more. And so I love it that it's like, yeah, like check your emails, like quick win here, but also recognizing that like how we choose our words has to do with like the beliefs and the thoughts that are going into how we're writing that email in the first place. And that those are like the tiny ways that it shows up that make a big difference. Yeah. And I don't want this to like deter anyone. No, like using the word you, that's a great win. Like that will do great things. But if you're looking for like the next level, you know, that's, yes, that's, totally. um, that's where I had in terms of like what you were sharing about the positive approach. You know, I struggle with this myself. When I'm working on campaigns with nonprofits, you know, you can probably project it. I'll always go the positive route. But what we also know and what the data shows is that the sad photo of the little child with the big eyes, that evokes guilt. And it often makes people give. 
But what happens is that gift was given out of guilt. Sometimes I didn't want to give the gift, but I was still like, I was kind of bullied into it. Like what? I'm going to let that poor child go without a meal. Like I'm not like a sadist. Okay, I'll click, I'll give. So, but there's no goodwill in there. And that person is not going to want to give again to your cause. And so the problem with the, you know, doom and gloom kind of marketing is that it works really well in the short term. If you're only looking at the short term, then it's going to be hard to walk away from that. You know, if there's an organization that's still in there, it's more of that bigger picture of, I want to build that long-term connection with these people. And I think what you alluded to is like, often that is used in a time of crisis, right? So there's an earthquake we need to give right now. I think that appeal is not so worried of like, will these people become, you know, what's my lifetime value? Are they going to keep giving to us? It's more of that one-time transactional. But if you're looking to build that community, I need to feel amazing about my gift. I need to be, I didn't want to have any of that like buyer's remorse. Like I was guilted into doing this. But I think we need to find that balance because if we just talk about the solution, right? Like people are not going to be motivated. We need to know the before picture. So if we only talk about the after, then I don't appreciate the transformation. And so I think it's really important to talk about what is this person's life going to look like without this, not in a doom and gloom way, in a hopeful way of we're able to create this transformation. But sometimes in our desire to be positive, we can skip that piece. And I've even been guilty of that. It's like, I don't want to go there too much. And then the other thing is also with that urgency is I like thinking about it in, you know, what season are we in? So if every email is like an urgent appeal, definitely don't want to do that. But there's a time and place for maybe upping that urgency and making people feel like we need to act right now. That is such good advice. And First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. It actually brings me to the question I was going to ask before, which is, I'm thinking about donor fatigue or what I consider to be a myth of donor fatigue. And I'm going to string like a few different things together and see if they make sense. But so another thing that was super interesting in the NEON report was that they were showing basically how smaller nonprofits were doing better than bigger nonprofits on email in terms of the value per email contact in their system was like $6 and 15 cents or something compared to something like 88 cents, or maybe it was like a little over a dollar for big organizations. They were seeing better click through rates. Like it was just clear that they are, have a much closer relationship to their list, but they are sending way less emails. And what I hear anecdotally, I, my guess would be that you do too, is like, especially with folks who have smaller email lists, They are very nervous about fatiguing their donors, emailing them too much. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you walk people into that balance? Like if somebody's on here and they're saying like, okay, just like what you were saying, like, how do we make sure that folks aren't just emailing during end of year and maybe one other time out of the year? And those are all urgent emails because it's end of year fundraising and that they're really like starting to scale up their email communication in a healthy way. 
So here's really where we can kind of come full circle, right? Because the reason nonprofits often don't send a lot of emails is, believe it or not, they don't know what they're supposed to send when they don't need anything. If I look at email communication as something that I do when I need something from my audience, like when I need funds or when I need, you know, people to buy tickets to the gala or when I need volunteers, then during those quiet periods, which are like the best, most important times to be sending communication, I'm kind of frozen. Like I might want to send an email, but I'm like, what would I even say? And so the first thing is to realize that like, you don't want to be that friend that like calls you up when they need a favor. And even more than that, the funny thing that nonprofits do is they put all their marketing dollars on the campaign. So how about this? Instead of a friend texting you, sorry, out of the blue, I need a favor. Imagine they like said, oh, I'd love to like grab dinner and they like take you out for dinner at this like gorgeous spot and they want to pay. And then they like have this massive favor to ask you. Like that's actually worse than the like casual out of the blue tag. So I think you give me a favor, right? It's like, oh, when you need something from me, that's when you know how to like pull out the red carpet and all this stuff. And that's not to make any, I'm sure that the people in your community are not thinking that when they they get a beautifully designed email from you during the campaign season. But I like using that bit of a dramatic example because none of us would ever do that in real life. So let's stop doing that, you know, online with our community. And instead, let's go back to the like, I want people to see what I'm seeing. Okay. I woke up in the morning and I got that text from that mom. And then I was in the program and I witnessed this. And then after that, I heard this story from a longtime donor. All those tiny moments, you get that. And that's fuel for you. That makes you like want to get up in the morning and do the work. And if you're a fundraiser, someone's doing that really hard work, like that is your fuel. And so why are you being selfish and keeping that all to yourself? You take that, take that with those little moments, little stories, and they don't have to be long emails. They don't have to be fancy. One thing that a lot of people are surprised about is like, I would say 90% of the email marketing I do with clients is plain text. Like there is maybe a gist somewhere, maybe a photo somewhere, but it is more or less plain text because I want people to be like, wait, did Mallory send this to everyone or just me? Because if I get a mass email, I do not need to answer it. That's not my job. But if somebody took the time to send me a personal email and I know them or I have some kind of connection, then yeah, I need to take the time to read it. And I'll probably, besides for taking action, I'll probably reply because this is a personal email. So one of the easiest things to do if you're like DIYing this is send yourself voice notes. Like this is what happens. And then if you just type up your voice note as is, it will be, I'm not kidding, 70% better than any of the emails being sent out today by nonprofits. It's those like, you know, I walked in and I was like carrying my coffee and this and that. And then I bumped straight into Jonah and he tells me this and I never... And then wait, say that story, but then zoom out and share with your audience why this is their win and their success. Mm -hmm. One of the things, I don't know if you follow the Adventure Project, but I got an email from Becky where I loved it. It was during a campaign. And this was obviously an email that went to people that had given or had not given to the campaign. Mm -hmm. And the line was something like, whether you've donated or spread the word or you're cheering us on from afar, like we are so grateful for your support. Now, just like pause, okay? First of all, that line is like incredible because what you're doing is you're saying, no matter what, you're included in this community and you're included. You can celebrate this as your win, even if you were just like, yes, 
under your breath. Like, I'm so glad they reached their goal. Like, we feel that positive energy and you're part of our community. And so one thing that's really important is when you hear that win or that little story, make sure that you include everyone reading it, right? It's not just a win for you if you've given. Look, your investment is like, you're killing it, right? No, even if you're just, you believe the same things we believe. Even if you're, you follow us on social and you're on your email, if you're supporting us, just by doing that, I think that's a really important piece. So the person who hasn't given yet feels like they're part of this, feels like they want to celebrate the win. And that way, those emails don't feel like, you know, underlining, well, if you would have given, this is what you could have accomplished. Instead, it really feels genuine, like a genuine celebration for everyone. But I do think that the reason people aren't sending is because they think it has to be an ask. Okay, that's fascinating. I had not even really considered that. I figured it was all about like they were worried that they were bothering people. And so they were only going to do it when they had to, which was making an ask. But my guess is you're right. And that that's a huge reason why or they don't know what to say. Or the only other thing they know to do is a newsletter with 10 different things right. in it and little paragraphs, right? And photo boxes. And so I love what you said about plain text. And I totally agree. And what you said about voice notes and I tell people all the time, like record a voice note, throw it into Temi or Otter, like transcribe it, like get yes. it transcribed for a dollar and eight cents. And then exactly. like clean it up and you're good. So I love that advice. And I've been thinking a lot recently about the concept of operational transparency. And I've been looking at companies and apps that have gotten really good at showing us operational transparency. Like, I don't know if you saw me talking about this on social media, but like the way that Lyft and Uber, you know, they have gotten to the point where they show us so many steps of what it's taking to get that car to us, right? It's like looking for your driver. We'll yeah. get your driver in 30 <laughs> seconds. We found your driver. Here's where they are. They have one more drop off before they come to you. Like they're building trust and clarity through sharing all these steps. And part of like when you were running through like the, that day in the life that I feel like that does is it gives this like operational transparency behind all the steps too that it takes to then zoom out and make that big impact. And it does then help be able to still have the donor have that you connection to the impact, but also see the role the organization plays. Because my guess is in a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, some folks might be like, "Uh oh, but then if we're not centered, then how do we avoid the overhead conversation and the need for our team and all of that? And I think part of what you're talking about here and that idea of operational transparency really helps without centering the organization and everything, share this like behind the scenes look that lets people in on like, how does this all happen? Yeah, I love, love the Uber example. Oh my goodness, it's genius. And what I like to think about is like, you are the helper. So we need to know the helper's journey, right? Like this guy, he's got a full-time job running his company. He cannot go and spend the day helping the communities that he feels really in his heart, that it's a really important thing to do. And so instead, he's entrusting you to go and do it for him, right? And so of course, you need to report back, of course, you have to say, okay, so here's what we did, we did this and this and this. And always tying it back to your shared beliefs, your shared values, and that you're the one who creates these programs. And that's the thing, right? Sometimes hearing more marketing advice, more fundraising advice can really Sometimes it's easier to know what not to do. And then that 
gets people paralyzed where they're just like, okay, like I have to steer clear of all these five things. And now like, for sure, I can't do anything. And so the goal really is to baby steps, right? So even if you're not doing everything or you're not doing it perfectly, that's totally okay. You're going to start seeing results. So I don't think that you're wrong when you say people don't want to keep sending emails because they're worried about donor fatigue, right? I think that is an element to it. But when you realize I'm just trying to let them see the wins that I'm seeing, I want them to feel amazing about their investment, right? Like if that's your intention when you sit down to write, then that's going to come across. So if it's like I'm sending these four emails so that in six weeks when we start a campaign, they're going to be warmed up then yeah, you're going to feel like, ooh, is this too many? Is this a little yucky? But if you're like, I need them to see what I'm seeing. I want them to, you know, the same way you might be like experiencing a program and saying, ooh, I wish that donor was here to see it. I wish I can give them a tour or even some of those foundations, right? Coming to see what their money is doing in action. Why are they taking a half a day to come to your organization and see it? It's because they want to see their money in action. This is what people want. I think when we buy anything online, any other online transaction, we get a confirmation email and then we find out that our thing has been shipped and that it's coming tomorrow. And then we get a physical box and we open it and we have the product. So from the transaction, right, the transaction is me kind of putting my trust in you and then you need to deliver me a product. Now, of course, with a donation, you're not sending someone a physical product. But you have the duty to give them. If I gave you $36, you need to give me $36 worth of feel good content that makes me so glad that I gave it. I mean, can you imagine if you like bought something online and then it just never came? Like, you know, you would like, you have, oh my goodness. I hope you, you, you know, you can like dispute that on your credit card. Yes. So you owe them, you know, if you buy a product, the company is not worried that they're bothering you and they just give you a confirmation and then they send you that it's shipped and then they send you that it's arriving today and then they bother you with that big box to open. No, they're like, this is what I need to do. This is what you paid for. And I'll tell you this, right? Like end of year giving, I always make a point to give quite a few donations, like diversify my donations because firstly, I like to give, but also like I'm very curious to see those journeys of what happens next. And mm. out of all the donations that I gave, I don't know the exact number, but I had one donation send me like an email sequence where I got a note from the director and then I heard how one of the campaigns were doing and then I got another ask and for one of them I actually got a gift I guess I was in a small nonprofit and my gift was considered you know worthy of like a small donor gift and what's interesting is I really did appreciate the gift I didn't think I would but I was like I didn't appreciate the gift for like oh I'm glad you gave me the gift but I was like oh wow they think I'm an important donor I just know I gave that much and so it was more of a signal that I'm super valued. I must be one of their higher end donors for this small shop. And for the one that gave me the sequence, I gave them a fucking gift. And I did not go in meaning to. I had given it as a peer-to-peer fundraising, right? Like a friend of mine had asked for a donation. And with the donor gifts, they haven't asked me yet. But I definitely feel this like responsibility of like, ooh, I'm one of their important donors. And the other donations I gave during that season. I haven't heard anything from them. And I don't even remember, like, you're going to stand out because you're the one that's going to say, I care, right? Like if someone has given, most people are not giving only to your organization. If they're giving, they're giving elsewhere too. And how does it feel? You give five donations and only one person is coming back and reporting. When those next five requests come in, who are they going to give to? Who are they going to up their gift for? And even if you don't think of it in terms of a transaction, just think about 
how they're going to feel, right? If you're worried about bothering them, how are they going to feel? And I think that really helps you do the work you need to do to send those, those more frequent emails. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. We like think about donor fatigue and bothering folks in terms of frequency, but it's 100% what you're talking about. It's like, what's the content of that communication? Because we also have those friends that we would be happy to hear from every single day, multiple times a day. Yeah. <laughs> feels good and supportive. And then we have those friends that were like, you are a twice a year friend. <laughs> like, it's right. like, right. it's a lot of my energy. <laughs> and as a nonprofit, we have to decide like, who do we want to be in relationship with our community members? And if we are worried about bothering them, the first thing I would look at is not how many messages you're sending, but what are you saying in those messages? And then having way more messages that are of this generosity of spirit and connection and bringing them along for the ride, like that doesn't fatigue people. Right. And Mallory, you're right. Like if someone's saying we don't want to bother them and fatigue them, don't bother and fatigue them. Like, absolutely do not bother your donors. Like, if your emails feel like a bother, then like, you're right. You should not be. They gave you a gift. You should not be bothering them. But can you entertain them? Can you inspire them? Can you educate them? Can you build that relationship? Like, do that. But you're right. Yeah. Don't bother donors. <laughs> right. But that's about the content, not yes, the not Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah, <laughs> we I agree. Okay, we could talk about this forever. Is there any question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you related to the themes we've talked about today? The only thing, and I always have this balance, is I really love actionable quick wins. And I feel like we actually talked a lot more of mindset, bigger picture, rather than quick wins. So one thing that I really like to think about is, and this applies to social as well, but like specifically for email, is how do you like stop the scroll? I mean, this term is obviously from social, but I think about it in looks, right? People have so many emails and like, why should they open yours? So I think there's two pieces to this, right? So one of them is who's sending this email. And the data shows that the person, the sender's identity matters more than the subject line. So first of all, like know that the more you're going to practice some of the things that we talked about today, the more people just by seeing your name in their inbox, it's going to make them more likely to open it. The other, again, because let's go for like quick win, easy, easy hacks is I love just asking the question of like, what stops my scroll? What has me opening up emails that I don't have to open? So for example, the email from my kid's school, gotta open it. I don't care how boring their subject line is. Same from like my doctor or whatever it is, right? Or like your boss. But I love to think, browse through your inbox and look at the emails that you didn't mean to open. And they're usually like promotional or whatever it is. And just start creeping a swipe file. Same thing. You can also do this on social media and then add it to your email swipe file. So look at the first sentence of reels that have you watching, maybe even though you don't follow this person or you didn't mean to waste your time watching that reel. Same with the first slide of a carousel or the first line of a Instagram caption and start creating a swipe file around that. The other place I love looking for inspiration for subject lines is your communication with people that you're very close to. Like, I'll just like go through my text messages, right? Like with my sister, with my husband, with my friend's chat. And look at the way people talk. Like, are we going to this? Should we do this? Okay, this is so you, right? Just those three sentences, right? Each one of them makes a great subject line. And automatically, they feel so personal and 
like I like doing like oh like no caps right so it feels casual it's like wanted you to see this like what do you think of this or whatever it is right so when so I really like bringing in a lot of that informality that you can just find that info in your friends chat family chat and do that also create that swipe file those are great places to start for your subject line so that we kind of get people opening your email and the other thing I like thinking of in that email is when we're talking about emails which most of what we talked about is when we're not in campaign mode when we're not asking for a big ask you can also still link other things so get people clicking in those emails so you can do PS here's a reel we did showing this program you know I wanted you to see it or whatever it is so you can still link other social blog posts, other things so that you're still giving people a chance to take further action and so that you can be speaking to different people in your audience, right? The people that just want to skim, the people that want to go deeper. So whenever you're sending out that email, in addition to segmenting, you want to think about like, who are the different types of people reading this? And then can I give them, give something for everyone? So even in an email, most of the emails I work with clients are kind of long form actually, but we'll always bold a couple of sentences for the skimmer. So we've got like, uh, so we're kind of taking care of everyone. And so that's something I really like to think about as well. Those are so many good like take home advice pieces. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for this conversation today. I seriously, I've learned so much about marketing from you. And even when you like, like or comment on a post of mine, I'm like, oh, I did it. <laughs> I'm like that. Like, it's like, if I get the Raquel stamp of approval, I'm like, all right, Mallory, like you did a good social post. <laughs> so I just, I really highly recommend everyone. Like it starts to seep into your conscious. You start to communicate differently. Like exactly to your point, I think seeing your content over the years has made me realize the type of content I like to absorb. And it's taught me a lot about how to position things that I'm thinking about too, even though mine are never as beautiful as yours, but some of the same like types of teaching. So I just, I so appreciate who you are and how you show up in this space and just how much you support this sector with your work. First of all, you're way over the top too kind, but... I would say is, Mallory, you have really made me rethink fundraising in a lot of ways. I've always been like very much, I work in the nonprofit space, but I'm a marketer. And I always wanted to put myself like distance between me and fundraising because I hadn't had the best experience with fundraisers. And what I think about the work that you do and with your community is one of the main things I think you've done is you broke down that big wall between fundraising and marketing. And you said, why does it have to be either or, right? Why does it have to either be transactional or just brand building and cultivation and relationship building. And one of the things that I think about a lot was marketing, was fundraising. And I come to the place from following your work of like, it doesn't matter. We don't need to say, okay, these four things are marketing. These four things are fundraising. Instead, I think we can mesh the two together because real true fundraising is going to include all the things of marketing and vice versa. And I also think everything that you teach in the Power of Partners, even if it's about cultivating, for example, a foundation ask or a individual supporter, all of those messages, right? You can kind of take them down and trickle them down and use those teachings, everything that Mallory teaches you and use that, carry that into marketing because Mallory is an undercover marketer. <laughs> We'll see if I'm an undercover fundraiser. I don't know yet. You you know, we'll find out. But I think that that is something that I have gained so much value from understanding that and from being able to see fundraising in a totally different, positive, amazing light. And I just love everything you do, love following you. And it's been such an honor to speak to your community. 
and you, of course. I will make sure all of the links are below so folks can connect with you on all the different platforms. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Mallory. Okay, there were so many nuggets of gold inside this episode, but here are some of the top things that I am double-clicking on right now. Number one, you want to implement specific niche and actionable items in your marketing and fundraising strategy. Number two, identify shared values and beliefs with your audience and speak to those specifically in your content. Number three, Focus on building connections and community rather than just raising funds or making transactions. Number four, use micro details and specific language to make your messaging more impactful. Number five, encourage supporters to take small, tangible actions to become advocates for your cause. And lastly, number six, always be authentic and true to your values and mission in your marketing and fundraising efforts. When you fall out of alignment, everything else will too. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Raquelli and our amazing sponsors, Neon One, including where to download their incredible email report with more nuggets of wisdom around how to optimize your nonprofit's email marketing. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.